Hello and welcome to another episode in our APW podcast series, which looks at UK residential property from an investor's perspective. With me today are the APW property experts, Stuart and Callum Williamson. APW are a company that helps UK expats and others buy property in the UK. They've totted up over 2,000 clients and secured over £186 million worth of property. So hello, Stuart. Hello, Paul. And hello, Callum. Hi, Paul. My name's Paul Shearer. I'm a writer, actor and journalist and have been writing specifically about property for over 15 years. Before that, I bought and restored several UK properties and even a couple in France. I'll be quizzing our gruesome twosome on today's topic, which is a City Watch podcast on Cambridge, the city of Cambridge. Callum, can you kick us off by telling us where it is? Yes, I can. Uh, 55 miles north of London on the flat bit known as the Fens, which stretches east of Cambridge into East Anglia. Okay, Stuart, and next question for you. Why did you pick Cambridge as today's podcast subject? It's a, most recently in the Older Moore Bank report, it says that it is the most expensive place to buy in the UK, now more expensive than London. So how can it be a good buyer's market? We're going to tell you why. Okay, well, I'll begin with a quick bit of history. Uh, The story begins, as with many other towns, in fact, like uh, Nottingham, the last city that we covered, it begins with a river crossing. Uh, The River Cam flows into the River Ouse and then out into the Wash, which is that funny little rectangular-shaped estuary just north of the bulbous, sticky outbit of East Anglia, if you can picture the map in your head. Since waterways were the supply routes of old, Cambridge sits on the important point where you can still bring boats in to the not-so-muddy ground where you can build a bridge. In fact, it used to be known as the Great Bridge, and a lot of traffic and trade converged on this point until trains changed the nature of the townscape forever. So first you had some Romans here, then the Danes conquered it, and then the Anglo-Saxons, then the Normans built a castle on Castle Hill. All that remains of that now is an earthen mound. St. Benet Church was built in 1025 and claims to be the earliest building in the town that still survives. In 1209, a group of runaway academics from Oxford began the fledgling university, which got a royal charter in 1231. And it's the relationship between the town and the university that makes Cambridge such an interesting place. In fact, the town was originally called Grantabrishie, or Grantabridge, as the bridge crossed the river Granta. Grantabrishie was obviously the Danish pronunciation. Uh, so that became Grantabridge by the Anglo-Saxons, uh, but it got shortened by Middle English people who couldn't do the Danish accent to Cambridge. And then they decided to rename the river after the town and it became the River Cam, uh, which I think is a unique feature of Cambridge. Uh, so you have the world's fourth or fifth oldest university, depending on which list you choose. Uh, it's just north of London and the town expands through the ages as the university grows. The colleges are strung out along the eastern bank of the river in a gorgeous collection of buildings and bridges known as the Backs. And it's the Backs that you can see from your punt as you glide past sipping your pins on a summer's afternoon. Uh, You'll see Queen's College and the very clever wooden construction known as the Mathematical Bridge. King's College with its iconic and famous chapel known for its carol service. Uh, King's College Chapel's foundation stone was laid by King Henry VI on the Feast of St. James, 25th of July, 1446. From your punt, you'll also see Clare College, Trinity College and St. John's College, uh, with its two bridges, the Kitchen Bridge and the Bridge of Size, built in 1831, named after the Bridge of Size in Venice, although they haven't got much in common architecturally. The entrances to the colleges, or the fronts, 
face loosely and from various distances the market square and the senate house there are 31 colleges in all perhaps the oldest is peter house and the richest is trinity worth around 1.3 billion pounds apparently the residential parts of the town are then mostly collected around this central core and then around that you have villages and other parts that have been absorbed by the city's expansion it was a full day's journey from London in medieval days, but by 1702 it was 15 hours by coach, with a daily coach service by the latter half of the 18th century. Several bouts of plague hit the town in the 1600s. Population of just over 6,000 by 1728, had its own newspaper in 1774, hospital in 1766, first bank in 1780, and was connected to London by railway in 1845. But it is, of course, the many famous alumni of the university who've made the town such a hypnotic draw. Give us some of your favourite alumni, Callum and Stuart. Callum, do you have any? Yes, yeah, I do. I've got a, a couple. Lord Byron reportedly had a, a bear in his room. Uh, I thought that was quite interesting because he was annoyed at the regulations which said you couldn't have a dog, so he had a bear instead. Mad, bad and dangerous to know was uh, said of Lord Byron. <laughs> Not surprising, really. With well, a, My, my with favourite alumni, I've got four comedians. Um, Jimmy Carr, very well known, Hugh Laurie, Sasha Baron Cohen, and um, Charles Prince of Wales. Oh, he's not a comedian. Oh, he is. <laughs> Interesting. The other ones, Cambridge Footlights, of course, has been churning out comedians for a very long time. Uh, it was founded in 1883 and has a, a bewildering array of people who went through Cambridge Footlights. Uh, Hugh Laurie, as you mentioned, uh, was with Emma Thompson, Stephen Fry in 1981 Bamba Gascoigne Douglas Adams Norman Hartnell Cecil Beaton all Cambridge Footlights alumni Eric Idle uh, John Cleese some directors Sir Nicholas Heitner Trevor Nunn Jonathan Lynn a director David Baddiel Sue Perkins Sandy Toxvig Eleanor Bron Jermaine Greer Rachel Weiss uh, is an actor who also graduated from the many theatres that there are in Cambridge um Simon Russell Beale, Lily Cole, Naomi Harris, Tandiwa Newton, Eddie Redmayne, Derek Jacobi. It's an impressive list. You just go onto Wikipedia and you can find all of the people who've graduated from Cambridge, including the 121 Nobel Prize winners that uh, have a connection to the university. Uh, but also you mentioned the spies, uh, Stuart. Yeah, I mean, very famous for that as well. I'm not really sure how many there were, but I'm pretty sure that they were very bright people. But, I mean, there's heaps of famous people there. If you look at Cambridge now, it is phenomenal. I mean, the bio parks, Cambridge Science Park, the bio centres, it is amazing, the, the GDP growth. It's got the highest GDV growth, sorry, gross added value of any city in the UK just from its science parks alone. Quite phenomenal. Okay. Well, in, in the 20th century and all through the 21st, it's become a, this major business centre. Um, it started to commercialise all the available brain power that it had. There was an article I read in the FT which talked about £225 million worth of venture capital just raised by Cambridge Innovation Capital, bringing it to a total of $1 billion worth of assets under management. Andrew Williamson, who is the managing director of Cambridge Innovation Capital, is quoted as saying, Often the best innovations come at the intersection or cross-fertilisation between sectors, and in a university-centric culture like Cambridge, that just happens naturally when a professor of AI meets a professor of drug discovery in the pub. So that's some of the things that are contributing to this growth. 
Callum, what's the combination of Cambridge academics that is leading to this growth? Okay, well, I mean, uh, mainly it's the uh, the big tech and big pharma. You know, if you look at the biggest employers in Cambridge, they are centred around the, the tech and the pharma. And I think Stu mentioned the um, MedTech Arch, which includes Cambridge, Oxford and Milton Keynes. Yeah, uh, and you've got Cambridge, for example, AstraZeneca has their, you know, their UK head office there and employs a lot of the, you know, these highly intelligent people that are coming from the tech and the pharma. So, yeah, those those are the the main industries. Well, let's go through your um, your formula pi, population, infrastructure and employment. Callum, what about the population numbers? So population numbers for Cambridge, 859,000 for Cambridgeshire and Peterborough. That was in uh, 2020. Those figures were put together. Then for Cambridge itself, it's 129,000 with around 25,000 students. And that's not just in Cambridge University, but that's across Cambridge University and Anglo Ruskin University as well. Okay, well, I'll do the infrastructure. You mentioned the arch. Um, What's happening is that there's a joint partnership between Cambridge City Council and South Cambridgeshire Council. Uh, They signed up to a city deal in 2014. Uh, which would bring in £500 million over 15 years. They then produced separate local plans in 2018, and now they're producing a combined plan called the Greater Cambridge Local Plan, which will replace those two 2018 plans. I recommend people look at this to get a sense of where things are heading. So Greater Cambridge takes in a number of the surrounding villages, and they're working their way through the consultations necessary to identify areas and places where they can expand and develop. Now, they put Cambridge at the crossroads of uh, these four zones that the UK has been investing in. There's the UK Innovation Corridor, which goes from London, northwest London, the tech hub and Old Street, and basically goes up the M11 towards Cambridge, and then through that continues to Peterborough. Then you've got the Oxford to Cambridge Arc, which goes through Milton Keynes, So that goes to the west of Cambridge. And then to the east, you've got the Norwich Tech Corridor, the Cambridge-Norwich Tech Corridor. So all of these are centred on Cambridge, but they bring an incredible amount of investment with them and an incredible number of science parks and create this unique science, technology and business ecosystem. The ARC accounts for this is the Oxford-Cambridge arc, the arc accounts for 7.1% of the UK's economic output. And Milton Keynes is the fastest UK-growing city. And the studies show that with the right interventions and investment, they could create by 2050 an extra half a million to a million jobs in the arc and become the economic output growth of between 80 billion and 160 billion per annum. So all of these, that's the point that you were saying, Stuart, earlier about why Cambridge. These are the things that help the long-term growth of Cambridge. Yeah, also, you mentioned, you know, you talked about Sandringham being close to King's Lynn. If you, you can commute into Cambridge, but then an hour away, you can be on the Norfolk Broads. You can be in the Wash sailing. You know, it's, it's a great location. You've got everything you can possibly have, higher than average UK earnings, a gross value add that's higher than anywhere else in the UK, at the same time, you can buy a house for £300,000 and be down on the beach within an hour. So it has really got a tremendous amount of positive things going for it. 
that's if you head east on the Cambridge Norwich Tech Corridor, uh, where they talk about um, the cluster development roadmap. So how's your cluster development at the moment then, Stuart? I'd prefer really if they develop more clusters of pubs in the sort of Fenlands, because I don't think there's enough. And um, I think that would probably help a lot of population growth in that direction. But in general, we've got an amazing, it is a truly phenomenal city. You know, if you look at AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca is one point, I think it's 18 billion is its gross domestic product compared to the next 10 companies in Cambridge all come to 10 billion altogether. So, I mean, that is how big AstraZeneca is and how important big bio is to Cambridge and that area. So take us through some of that employment that's happening in Cambridge. You mentioned some of the big companies. What else is going on? Well, basically, in 2017, you had 4,500 companies employing 75,000 people. The biggest I've just mentioned is AstraZeneca, but then these other big powerhouses, Microsoft, Addenbrooke's Hospital, Amazon, Google DeepMind, Samsung. You know, there's a lot of these big med, bio, AI companies that are all feeding off each other and creating a fantastic location for business and knowledge development. Even the schools there, many of the schools in the whole of the Cambridge area are run by Cambridge University. and means that many of them are outstanding and you're getting more good people coming through. We've also got the Science Parks. Uh, Cambridge Science Park was founded by Trinity College in 1970. Uh, you've got Bayer there, Philips, you've got Huawei, Johnson Matthey, and many, many more. Uh, it's 150 acres, houses over 7,000 people and 130 companies, and wants to expand into a new bit called Cambridge Science Park North. That's next to the St. John's Innovation Centre, which is mostly for startups, has 88 tenants employing almost 400 people. Then they're both next to the Cambridge Business Park, which has 12 modern office technology buildings, 17 tenants, including the BBC and Qualcomm. And the Cambridge to Norwich Tech Corridor claims over 12,000 knowledge-intensive businesses, providing over 55,000 jobs. So the list just goes on and on, and that's without even mentioning the Cambridge Research Park, the Camborne Business Park, the Melbourne Science Park, Vision Park, Chesterford Research Park, Granter Park, Welcome Genome Campus, the Babraham Institute, which are all either in or within striking distance of Cambridge. So that's the pie. What about the property? When it comes to the property itself, it depends on what your goals are. Again, you know, something we always hark back to is is goals, goals, goals. You know, uh, I was looking at Cambridge City Centre itself yesterday and what, what house prices have done there. Um, over the past 25 years, they're up just over 500%, 511%. So your average terrace has gone from uh, 79,000 to about 550,000. So two, two, three bed terrace. So I think, you know, for your, for your average person, you know, buying in Cambridge, is perhaps not such a great buy, you know, because it is so expensive. Um, we talk a lot about AstraZeneca, you know, if you're looking at the sorts of people that will be working at AstraZeneca and looking for places to live, is it going to be, you know, they're going to have young families? Is it going to be in the city centre of Cambridge in a small terrace that costs them half a million quid? Or are they going to be looking at places a little bit further afield that you can commute in from with a garden where for the same amount of money you could get a four or five bed house? So, yeah, it depends really on, on what you're trying to achieve, I think. So where would what sort of area do you look at in the surrounding areas? What, what are some of the places? Well, if you can, you know, go out of Cambridge and travel on the train as far as King's Lynn, then 
at each stop, you stop at a location where people are commuting in from. And you know, the problem with Cambridge, as far as property is concerned, is that the infrastructure development is not great because it's such a historic city. It's very difficult to put new roads in or develop you know, tram lines or ra- railroad or whatever it might be. So it's got very high cycle cycle usage there, isn't it? Most numbers of people on a bicycle, I think. No, for sure. I mean, and that's that's fine. But the point is that you know, if you go out of the city, which is where most people are having to go to to get the stuff that is affordable, then they can't cycle in from out there. They've got to either drive or get the train. You know, they are creating the the Fen line, which is basically it's going to be a hundred and twenty mile an hour train that will go from Cambridge North through a lot of the outer outer line towns. And eventually ending up in joining up to the London line. So the Fen line is a great development, but they still need to work on that. But if you go from Cambridge out, you go into places like Ely eventually, you'll get to Market Down and Down and Market. You know, and these are places where people are commuting in from for up to 30 minutes of travel. And they're fine to do that because you can get a good good quality of life. And again, you're only an hour away from the coast the further you go out. Okay, well, let's have a quick look at some individual properties. Um, I went on to Rightmove. I had a quick look at property in the region. Uh, It showed 10,000 properties for sale within 30 miles of Cambridge. What did you find in the city itself, though, Callum? Okay, in the city, uh, I was having a look at flats. I mentioned terraces earlier, but specifically flats, again, pretty expensive, to be honest. If you're looking in in the city centre, so this is within a, a mile radius of the train station, then you're looking at uh, 600,000 plus for a two bed flat. New build, very nice, but very expensive. And, and for the, the real top end, it's, it's almost a million pounds, uh, for the types of properties that are being advertised by Savills and the like. Slightly further outside of the city, 250 to sort of half a million is the average. So, um, at the top end, half a million. So still very, very expensive. Is it a good buy? I mean, again, depends on what your goals are. I think it would always be, rented out given what we've said about the employment the student population all that sort of stuff but are there better places to put your money that might get you a slightly better return yeah perhaps so Stuart what's it what did you find it's just an overplaced location because there is such a a shortage of good property you know I looked at um right move again and you know two bedroom one bathroom houses for five hundred and fifteen thousand pounds the rental yield on that would be 3%, so it's not going to pay the mortgage. You could go you know, go up north to Leicester, places like that. I looked in Kenilworth, and they've got country houses up there, six bedrooms, six stables, six acres, for less than that. You know, And it's an hour and, a, hour and 20 minutes into London from there, and it's still an hour from Cambridge. So you've got to really want to live in Cambridge to pay those sort of prices, because it is quite extraordinary how expensive it is. I had a look and chose a very, very central location, but that was 750000 for a two-bed, two-bath house. It's a Victorian property where they've opened up the ground floor. It's got a rear garden, looked very nice, pricey, but it's classic. And then it's a question really of whether you're doing it for yourself and you're aiming for capital growth in the future, whether you're hoping to rent it. Does your proposed rent pay the mortgage costs and that's where you're looking at yield on property as you say Stuart are you going to get better yield elsewhere we're going to be looking at yield in our next property podcast uh, so that we can drill down and explain a little bit more about what yield is about uh, any final thoughts on Cambridge do you think it's uh, still a good place even with the cost Stuart yeah it's all about head versus heart 
you know, if you have to be there and you have to live close to work, then sure, buy a nice place, live in it, and £715,000 for two bed, two bath, probably seems like a nice idea. You know, if you don't have to live in town and you want some capital appreciation as well as something that's, that's a good value environment, then buy out of town. Simple as that, really. Head or heart, which one is driving you? Which one's driving you, Callum? Uh, for me, it's got to be head, I would say. With that, as you say, as Stuart was saying, you know, if you're looking at if you're looking at buying a seven hundred and fifty thousand pound two bed terrace, then you can probably afford it. You know, so perhaps as part of a diversified portfolio, not bad. It'll give you some capital appreciation. It's a bellwether location. You know, it's not going to go down. But you know, if you're starting out and trying to build your portfolio, then maybe look somewhere else. City centres that you can buy two beds for Nottingham for one hundred and fifty thousand, Cardiff for two hundred thousand. So for me, it's it's head. Yeah. That's all we've got time for. It's goodbye from Stuart. Cheerio. Goodbye from Callum. Cheers, Paul. And it's goodbye from me. My name is Paul Shearer. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series produced for APW by Emma Holton at Brilliant Audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If you didn't, keep stumm. You can find more episodes in all your usual podcasts.